Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Now we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. And uh, I'm excited about this series that we have coming up because it's called Vertical and it's a series about worship. And the reason I'm excited about it is because worship is a primary function of us as, as humans. We were actually made by God with a heart to want to worship God. To be honest, we were all made to worship God because he made us. And there's a, there's a hole in every person, even if they're not Christ followers yet, that wants to worship something or someone because we were made to worship God. And so for us who are already Christ followers who have given our lives to him, obviously we've chosen to worship him. And so learning how to worship God is probably the best thing we could ever do, right? Like to, to, to actually understand more about what worship is, how my life can be a worshiping life, and how to go deeper. I, I think it's got to be the best thing to learn, don't you? Because to be honest, if you think of heaven, um, we're going to be worshiping God for forever. And, and I believe in heaven there's productivity. I believe there's things we're doing. I don't think we're just on playing harps on a cloud. I think there's a lot that goes on in heaven and in the new earth to follow. But, but I think ultimately the thread through everything we do at that time will be worshiping God because we'll be in his presence. We'll be experiencing him. And so I think it's just good for us to, not only for the sake of eternity, but for the sake of now. If we were made to worship God, then learning how to worship him and having a proper focus will help us be freer and ultimately will be blessed. So I, I want to just say that I think this is an important series. I encourage you to come every week. I want to start with a personal story. You know, I grew up in a traditional church. I grew up in the United Church. And so I sang very traditional hymns Sunday after Sunday. Uh, every week and one church I went to my dad was the pastor and then my mom was the pastor after him after he died So I grew up watching my parents minister every day But one church I went to they sang a hymn called holy 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 like every sunday Like holy like every sunday like it was it's a great I mean it was a great hymn don't get me wrong But I mean every sunday I remember thinking wow like I think we sang that last week and the week before and the year before that. Anyway, we'd sing it every week. Now, my, my point is, it got a little redundant, you know, honestly, with great words. And, and the hymns, I, I would sing these hymns, but to be honest, as a, as a young man, I, I didn't have a lot of spark in me. I was a good kid and I did love God, but I just wasn't really fired up or so. I was pretty passive. So, I mean, I sang them, you know, I just sang them and thought, well, that was a good thing to do. I sang these songs. <clears throat> but here's what happened. When I was 16 years old, I had an encounter with God. And, and when I had this encounter where he started to stir my heart and I started to spend more time praying and I started to spend more time reading the word and I started just to enjoy him and his Holy Spirit filled me and my heart got softer and softer and, and I, I just had encounters with him. Well, then my mom had retired by that time. And so she didn't speak every week. In fact, went to another church. And, but then she got this call to come to a church that was, that was a United church in another town. And they knew of her. And they said, would you come and speak for this one Sunday and, and preach? So she said, yeah. And so I went with her. So we go to this church. And again, remember, I grew up singing these hymns like Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And <clears throat> little emotion, little impact. Almost like I didn't even read what I was singing. You ever done that before? 
I, I do it still. Does anybody else want to admit you do it still? Like you're, you're listening in a worship song and you're singing it and your mind is thinking about how it was snowy today, maybe, and how you had, oh, I got to clean that when I get home. Holy, like seriously, right? So sometimes we're not tuned in. And so I would, was that way. Well, anyway, go to this church and there's these hymns and, and we're singing these hymns. And it was like I was singing them for the first time. For the first time, I'd sang them for years, but all of a sudden, the words mean something like I'm singing about the blood of Jesus and I'm singing this ancient, you know, this old hymn from the 1800s and my heart is stirred and then I start crying. I'm sitting there in this church and I'm crying. Why? Because something's alive in me and these words are powerful. Like, have you ever, have you ever read those hymns and you consider what they're saying? They're phenomenal. They're amazing. But I was so dead. It was so dead in the church I was in, to be honest. You know, everybody was just kind of singing them because they had to, and nobody really meant it. Well, maybe there's a few. I don't want to judge everybody, but I know I didn't. But my heart was, was fresh. So what had changed? Had the songs changed? Maybe they were played with a guitar now. And when they were played with a guitar, I could, I, they were relevant to me. Or, or, you know, what was it that changed? Well, the songs didn't. Certainly not in that church. The same style. I think it was an organ, right? It was me that had changed. My heart had changed right? And so my point is worship comes from the inside out. And if we're going to start with what is worship, we have to start from the inside out. We can't start with the actions of worship because that's not what it is. That's not where it comes from. And if, and if, if our worship in any form is just actions, <clears throat> it is dead works. It will have lifelessness to it. Like me for all those years when I would sing all those hymns and not feel any of it. It'll, it'll just be a, a dead thing. And that's not what any of us wants. And least of all, God, he doesn't want that. So the essence of worship is not external rules and regulations about how I must behave, but it's an interchange that then shows itself in my external behavior. It's an interchange. It's about the heart first. It's fresh. It's new. And true worship then fuels me from the inside out. Let me give you a second picture. Got to use sports. Got to bring in sports as much as possible. So in 1993, there was a sports writer for the Dallas Morning News. He wrote an article about visiting the Dallas Cowboys at Valley Ranch after their fourth regular season game. Here's what he wrote. He said, I have never seen so many long faces on millionaires in all my life. Here are all these guys making millions of dollars, and the parking lot is filled with very expensive automobiles, yet these guys are all walking around <clears throat> with long faces. I don't understand why. They are making lots of money. They are young. They are successful. The Cowboys are 4-0 for this season. They ought to be rejoicing. I just don't understand it. This is what he wrote. Then I remembered, he says, when I was a player. We came to the dressing room on Monday morning after a victory on Sunday that no one had expected us to win, and yet we did. We were in a state of euphoria, but now everybody expects the Cowboys to win, so the euphoria is gone. Then he interviewed Troy Aikman, the star quarterback, who's now an announcer, but at the time was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And here's what he said. He said, the 1992 season was fun. We were a team that was expected to do well, but not too well. No one expected us to beat the San Francisco 49ers, and, and yet we did. And then we went on to win the Super Bowl. It was a time of great celebration, but since then... Our games have become more like just a job. Now, why do I share that story? Because that relates a lot well to us sometimes when it comes to worship and our external expression. See, <clears throat> the Cowboys, 
in their first year weren't expected to win, and they did. And they were thrilled with the experience, and it was fresh to them. We won the Super Bowl. We weren't supposed to win the Super Bowl. Oh, this is exciting, and, and we're celebrating. And we're, but then the next year, everybody said, well, they'll win the Super Bowl. We know that, I hope they can repeat. And they felt the pressure of repeating, and they felt the pressure of performing. And so now it wasn't any joy. It was like, well, we just have to do this. And now it's not just fun playing a sport. It's like a job. Now, see, this is how we can become as Christians. You ever been there? You know, it's no fun anymore. It's like a job. I got to do this. I got to be this way. I got to have a good heart. I have, a good, I have to have a good attitude. I better say these good things. And it just becomes another do. Got to do this. Got to look good. Better lift my hands. Better look spiritual. <laughs> ever been there? I mean, it doesn't, isn't necessarily about worship or singing in church. It's just about life. It's about trying to fit in. And, and the awe's gone, and the wonder's gone. And that awe and wonder you felt when you first were a believer, and you came to Christ, and he set you free from sin, and you're like, oh God, I could worship you forever. I'm, I'm so excited, thank you. And then time goes on, and that, fr that fresh wonder is gone. It's no longer fresh anymore. It's stale. It's like me singing those hymns. It's just kind of the same thing. There's no life in it. See, God doesn't want that for us. God doesn't want it to just be like a job and us going through the motion. So this series, again, I want to in indicate to you that this series, the goal is to help us explore worship in a fresh way and then rekindle a new passion in each of us for worship and in, in, in all its facets, in all its facets. So this week, I'm going to look at what is worship. The next week, my wife, Val, who's a great preacher, is going to preach about why worship. And there'll be some overlap between these messages. I'm sure there will. But, but why worship? Then the following week, I'm going to talk about how we worship. So I'm actually going to go in at that time and talk about some of the things we do. Why do we do? Why do we clap our hands? Is it just because I'm excited? I'm going to clap my hands like at a sports game, right? Like seriously, why do we clap our hands in church? There's reasons for it. You know, why do we sing? Why do we lift our hands? Why are some of these things, things we do? Is it just because we feel like it? Is there actually a spiritual basis for it? Is there actually, does God like it? That, you know, if you think about the essence of worship just for a moment, Let's just think about it for a moment. It is about God, right? Worship. Like really, worship means I worship God. I'm here to honor him. And so wouldn't it be important that how we worship honors him and that he likes it? Because isn't that kind of the point? You know, you know what I, I struggle with sometimes? We make worship about us when it comes to like singing and stuff. It's like, I didn't like that. Yeah, but did God like it? Because wasn't that kind of what it was about? Is that, that God would like it? That we were honoring him? Did he like it? If he liked it, then great. Yeah, but I didn't. Well, who are you? Like, you're the worshiper, right? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? We kind of flip it sometimes. So we need to look at that from that perspective, and we will. And then, then on um, April 29th, we'll have Robert Melnichuk from Yes TV. And then on May 6th, Pastor Chris Reimer is going to round it out with taking the feels out of worship. I don't know about you, but that sounds exciting, just hearing that title, Taking the Feels Out. I mean, I, I can't remember what he told me it was going to be about, but I do remember the title. So the title gets me interested, for sure. It's going to be a great message. So let's dig in today and begin with what is worship. And I, I believe even today you're going to begin to be re-energized. Let's pray right now. Can we do that? So Father, thank you today that we get the opportunity to be here. I just bless every person that's here, that's listening that's uh, presenting themselves to you and father i ask you this morning 
that, Lord, we would go to another level in worship, in our lives, in our church. I pray for a clear understanding. Father, it's a big topic. Honestly, as I dig into it and prepare, I realize it's, it's a big topic and it's important. And so, Lord, would you just guide my words? And more than anything, would your heart come out? Like that, that would be my prayer, that your heart for this would come out, that we would more than anything hear from you. And I pray you'd liberate people. I pray you'd set their hearts free. Lord, from bondage, from restriction, from bitterness, from unforgiveness. God, these are the, the worship killers that you want to take out of our lives. And we'll just be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to give you a statement here. I'm going to give you the first part, and then I'm going to give you the last part. Last, okay? That makes sense. So here's the worst part. First part, not the worst part. The first part. <laughs> Worship starts with who you are, not what you do. All right? Worship starts with who you are, not what you do. So let's begin to look at that for a minute. What, first of all, let's define what worship is. I like 1828 Webster's Dictionary. Uh, Webster was a believer, by the way. So some of his, especially in the 1800s, when you look at definitions, they're very godly, very Christian. He said, worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Wow, I love that. Extravagant love and extreme submission. What does submission mean? It means that I come under and I submit to and I obey. So the essence of worship to begin with is extravagant. It's meant to be lavish. If you could use that picture, it's meant to be over the top. Because the person who receives the worship, who is God, is worthy. He's worthy of more than you and I could ever give him. If you think about it, we looked last week at how Jesus died on the cross and resurrected and how he set us free from sin. If If you and I really grasp what that means for us, we would... The worship that should pour from our lives just because of who God is should be amazing. Now, I'm not there. I, I, I need to grow. But my point is, when we consider who Jesus is and who God is, we should want to be extravagantly loving, extremely committing our lives to serving him. True worship, in other words, is defined by the priority we place on who God is in our lives and where God is in our list of priorities. That, that's really important, that our priorities are in line with him. And, and actually, the reality is, we're going to talk about this in a minute, we all worship. We do in life. Whether, whether it's God or something else, we worship. Because, like I said earlier, we were meant to worship. But the key is, if we want to be a Christ follower and one who worships God, is he the priority in our lives? And where is he? In our lives. So the reality is we need to have an inner valuing or treasuring of God. I like what John Piper, he's a great theologian. I love to read some of his stuff, what he said about worship. I don't know if I have the quote up there. Yes, I do. Okay. He said, so the inner essence of worship is the response of the heart. Now, you've got to unpack this. You've got to think about this for a minute. The response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly valuing god now you say well that seems a little heavy no what he's saying is it's the response of my heart see one of the things that i was really challenged with this weekend i went to the um what's it called beyond belief is that what it's called grace faith beyond belief be ready conference right and the be ready conference is great i mean if i'd encourage you to go next year if you didn't get a chance this year um, Josh McDowell, Sean McDowell were there, if you know who they are. 
um, they're, they're wonderful. They've unpacked truth about the, the truth of the resurrection. They're, they're amazing, amazing people and, and just, just powerful. But, but what, I, what I learned when I was there, I think Josh McDowell is going to be one of the smartest people that I've ever seen and listened to. Like his intelligence, his research ability, his ability to break down truth and, and prove it. And I was just blown away. And one thing that he challenged all of us there, and it challenged me too, is that sometimes we neglect, because we're spiritual beings and we want to focus on the things of the Spirit, sometimes we neglect in our minds with our intellect breaking down and studying and learning the truth. Sometimes we can neglect that. We can just we can be very feeling-oriented and very much, you know, and that's all good. We need to be connected, but we need the foundation of truth, and we need to study the truth, and we need to dig into the truth. And, and he really challenged us about it. He just basically said, you know, a lot, of Christ- a lot of Christians are just lazy. That's what he said. He's pretty blunt. He just said, you know, they, they don't study. They won't dig in. They won't find out what they believe. They won't back it up. They won't learn it. I thought, wow, that's true, right? Like, so he's just saying, look, we need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to dig in. So my, my point is, what we know in our thinking and what we understand is important. You know, the knowledge of our mind and, and the things we learn about God are important. Our, our mindsets, what we believe or don't believe about Him is important. It affects our heart. What we believe will affect how we respond in here. Let me give you an example. So if, if in my thinking I have a belief either about God or other people, maybe a lie that I believed since I was a kid, that, that because of bad circumstance, if I have a lie that believes that God isn't good, Right? You, you can sing about God is good all, all you want. But when I sing about God is good, for example, I remember this time where I didn't think he was good and I didn't think he was faithful. That lie, that truth to me, now supersedes my desire to worship. Do you understand? So it informs my heart. So my heart's wanting, you know, let's worship God. My, my mind's going, no, I, I believe this to be true about God. And, and therefore, rather than a worshiping heart, I actually have a bit of a bitter heart. So when it comes to worshiping God, it's like I'm trying to worship God through bitterness. Like I'm like, yeah, God, I want to worship you, but, but I'm holding on to this lie which affects my heart, which means that I don't really worship you and it's just dry and dead. Now one thing, one thing to consider today is if you struggle with worship and you struggle with being effusive to God and you struggle with, maybe you need to go back to what do I believe? How does that impact my heart? Because the worship comes out of here. So I can do all I want and try to be happy, clappy all I want. But if this isn't right and this isn't right, then this won't be right. Does that make sense? See, that's where it starts. And that's what John Piper's saying. He's saying, inner essence of worship, response of my heart to the knowledge of my mind when my mind is rightly understanding God. I have a good perspective of who God is and my heart is rightly valuing God. I value him. I honor him. And there's, there's a reverence in my heart. There's a purity of heart in me that appreciates who God is. There's not bitterness. There's not unforgiveness. There's not anger at God in me. There is a purity of heart in me that can truly worship him. Now, if any of those things apply to you today, I'm not here to point fingers at you. I'm here to understand with you because I've had those attitudes in my heart. I know that. And in fact, the life of worship is a continuous Walking with God and letting him heal and cleanse our hearts. Because, you know, we have tough stuff hit us all the time, right? Every day, every week. So we have to constantly go back and have our hearts refined and purified. But I'm just saying, I understand that. But, but, it, but we need to be aware of it and we need to push through. 
because knowing the truth is going to help us to respond properly in our heart. And God wants us to do that. You know, in the, in the 1300s, the word worship actually started in the English language in the 1300s. And it's actually a contraction of two words, worth and ship. <laughs> worth and ship. Worthship, okay? And what it means is it was ascribing or declaring the worth of something or someone. To place value on the thing being honored. To lift up the Lord, to declare his value, to, put, to place life under his lordship. So, worthship. We're putting worth. When you and I worship God, we're putting worth into who he is. We're saying, his, who he is, is worth my life. It's worth me worshiping him. Does that make sense? He's worthy. You ever sang songs like, he's worthy? He is. He's worth. He has worth. He's worthy. And so, worthship is what it is. It's us giving worth to God in whatever we do. So we really need to take stock. If we're, if we're going to have a heart that's right, and I want to say this just right on the outset. If you and I are serious about being worshipers, and if, if this could be a moment over the next few weeks where something happens in our hearts that creates a greater freedom in worship, a greater you know, love and extravagant worship for God, then we have to start with where are we in worship? What are we worshiping? That's how we have to start. You know, one thing I realize, and you probably would realize it too, if you've been around a while, is that there's only room on my heart for one person, right? Like, I, I went through this a few weeks ago. We talked about the, the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And, and I talked about how really the essence of giving your life to Jesus is that before you give your life to Jesus, you're on the throne of your life. You're in charge, right? You're sitting on that throne going, I'm the leader. You know, I'm a self-made man or woman, and I can do this. But when we give our life to Christ, we get off, and we tell him, we, we give it to him. We say, I humbly give you my life. Please get on the throne of my life. Please be the king, and I will bow and submit myself to you. Do you see that picture? But here's the problem. There are constantly other things that want to get back on that throne, and we want to let those things come, right? And, and ultimately, it's self, because those things feed us, but we have to be careful. So what are, what are some of those idols? Now, an idol is just anything that takes God's place in giving us fulfillment, satisfaction, security, or significance. This is what Patrick Mabalog in Christianity Today, he wrote this great quote. He says, idols are anything that takes God's place in giving us fulfillment, satisfaction, security, or significance. Many of the things that people have idolized, both past and present, are not necessarily bad things, but good things, listen to this, good things that take bad positions on our priority tree. Not necessarily bad things. Like everything I list to you isn't bad, but if it's out of priority, it's bad. It has to be in proper order. So let's look at a few things. He, he gives a list of five modern-day idols. Actually, there's more than this, but I'll give you five, Okay. So first of all, work. Now, last, last week we talked about work and, in the message and how, you know, it can be empty. If we, we make work our sole focus, then, you know, and it's going to fulfill us, it's empty in the end, right? And our whole premise last week was what, what's, what's empty is actually fulfilling and what's 
we think is empty is not fulfilling. I'm not using my statement right that I created, but, but, but that was the essence. You can go back and listen to it and get the, the truth. I can give you the right statement in that message from last week. But work, people often will look to work for significance and security, right? Either financial security, or, and it's important to have a job. I get that. But, but when we put everything in, that money, that significance of my job, it becomes an idol. It can be an idol. How about success? You know, God does want us to be successful, but if success is the only thing that drives us, I want to look successful. I want to appear successful. You know, there was a time in my life when I was really, really, um, really, really important to me. I mean, not that I don't want to be successful now because I do, but there was a time in my life where I really believed that that was a primary thing because of some hurts I had because of some ways that I felt inferior as a kid, because of perfectionism. To me, to look successful and not appear weak was so important. And God literally had to allow me, and I believe he did, to go through a, a, bankrupt, a near bankruptcy of my business and failure. And, and, and for the first time, honestly, I was the kid that succeeded in everything. I was always top or near the top of my class. I was, I was an achiever always. I could always pull my way out of everything through hard work, and it was the one moment in life where I couldn't, where no matter how hard I tried, my efforts weren't enough. It's a terrible place to be in. If you've been there, you understand that. You're at the end of your resources. I almost had a breakdown. I had young kids at home. I was a sole provider for my family. It was a terrible time in my life. It, it really pulled me apart. But you know what? It pulled me apart in a good way because God did something in me. And he, he took out that drive. I know he did. He changed me because I no longer had to succeed to know that I was worth something. You know, I, I, I wasn't so terrified of failure. Before that, I was totally terrified of failure. But when I had to face failure and stare at the abyss of failure, I realized it wasn't so terrible when I faced it with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So success can be an idol. And God often has to work in us so that we can let go and say, God, it's not about all my accomplishments. It's about you, and, and I'm a son. And, uh, and Lord, you, you love me. How about, um, I wrote down, he wrote down phones. I mean, think about it. Here you got work, success, phones. Wow, really? That's specific. So I wrote down electronics, but it's the same principle. What's his point? His point is that electronics today are massive in our culture. It's true. You know, my wife, um, be careful how I say this, but... There was someone that she, not about her, but there was someone that she was uh, talking to a friend, a mutual friend that we know recently, and her husband has a gaming problem. This is a guy in his 30s. He's got, you know, two kids, I think, or two or three kids, but a gaming issue and um, successful person, but he's, he's stuck in gaming online. Friends are long, far distance away, that kind of thing, and, and it's, it's difficult for her for my the friend right it's difficult for that family and and it 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 just really and this this is a good family good christian people like but there's an issue there right there's an addiction there and and so you know it can be as simple as this thing right because you know i mean i i remember who was i talking to oh mark, mark buchanan he's so a good friend of mine, he's, um, you might know who he is, he, he, he's an author, he lives in the city. He was talking the other day about how when phones came out, he actually rebuffed it. And he said, you know, I don't want a phone, right? I don't need that, I'm staying unplugged. He was mocking people and everything. And he said, then I got to the point where one day I left my phone at home and I almost had a panic attack in the car. 
Like some of you are feeling it right now. If you left your phone, my phone. What if someone tries to get a hold of me and they can't because I left my phone, right? Or I might get that text. We're so tied to it. And, and the point that I think the author of this article is making is that it can become number one. It can supersede relationship. It can even steal from a relationship with God. And so we've got to be careful. Entertainment fits in that same category, to be honest with you. TV, entertainment, Netflix, binge, watching Netflix. <laughs> I mean, occasionally that might be fine. But I'm just saying, you know, all of those things can become idols. They can become things that draw us away from our true focus. And not bad in themselves, none of them. But if they're out of line. How about image in our culture? The age of Facebook and Instagram. I just want to get more likes, right? Get more likes, I feel affirmed. Oh, that guy liked it. This person liked it. It's a big deal. I remember one time, <laughs> okay. I remember one time realizing that about myself. I got to be honest here, right? You know, I, I actually took, except for um, like church stuff lately, I kind of, this weekend with the conference, I kind of fudged it a bit, but, but I haven't been posting except for church because I moved away from it. And because I realize how much you can get pulled in with Facebook or social media. And so, you know, you can be looking for those likes and they can feed you weirdly. I mean, it, it, I don't know. Other people nod. They understand this. So you just got to realize, hey, wait a minute. I'm not trying to be out here. So I get more. I got like 200 likes. I'm like the best, right? Like that can be the way it is in our culture. So image can be big. Materialism, you know, the next latest thing, buying stuff putting our focus in stuff. How about, how about sex? Sex is designed, created by God, but it's been distorted. And especially in our culture. You know, um, Josh McDowell, he, he really talked about it a lot at this weekend. It was, honestly, it was disturbing. I don't know how else to say it. Um, what's happening in our world. One, one stat he gave about this whole area of pornography was he said... He had, I mean, he had tons of stats that the magnitude of material just, it blows your brain. But here's one that will disturb and will make you realize. He said, in the world today, every second, 4,000 videos are being uploaded to porno pornography. 4,000, 4,000, 4,000, 4,000. Do, do you understand? Like, that blew me away. Like, my mind couldn't comprehend the volume that's happening it's, it's it's like the biggest thing on the internet if we were to look at volume of what's there they were trying i don't want to get too far into this but they were trying to do studies he said he's a researcher they were trying to do research studies to um to look at pornography and so they've they tried to do them in a number of different areas one was singapore there was southern u.s and so what you have to do when you do a study is you have to get a control group and the control group is is people who are not involved in the behavior you're trying to study okay so they tried to find control groups several occasions they tried to start the study they couldn't start it you know why they couldn't find a control group they couldn't find people that weren't engaged in it that's how prevalent pornography is and and he was for for us that are a bit older myself who doesn't you know i realize the digital age in many ways but i don't i'm not my kids i'm not the younger generation i don't i don't have a smartphone when i'm 11 right? You understand? Our culture is so different. The prevalence of this. I was just shocked. I, I was thinking about what we were in and, and a couple of things that he said that I'll just share and then I'll move on. He really challenged parents. He said, parents, you need to understand something. He, he, he was talking to people my generation. He says, 
He says, like, for example, someone like me, he says, if your kids raise their kids the way you did, they won't make it. What he's saying is the culture's changing so rapidly that, that the pressure on our kids, my grandkids, is going to be way, way more than it was on my kids. And it's going to continue. And so there has to be uh, such a different way to work with our kids to, to guide them. And the other thing he said, and I'll finish with this because there's so much more I could say about it based on what he was sharing. He said that in our culture today, parents for their kids, it's not will they see pornography, it's when. Not if, it's when. They will. But he said what parents need to do is they need to provide a healthy sexual environment for their kids where their kids can talk about it and, and have a, a good picture of it so that when they eventually do see pornography, they will be kind of inoculated from it. They'll actually have their own worldview kind of determined already, and that won't determine their worldview. And, and here's the big kicker. Hear this one. He says he thinks that needs to happen by the time a child is five. Five, not kidding. The world is different, Audrey, than when we were kids. <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad told me about sex when I was 10, and I hadn't heard about it yet. Now, that's rare today. <laughs> I was 10 years old, and I didn't know about the birds and the bees yet, and my dad told me. Now, if we wait till 10 with our kids today, it'll, the, the, the horse will be long out of the barn as far as them understanding. So, shocking but what he was saying is, even at a young age, find ways to help your kids begin to understand sexuality. There's books on it. I've gone way too long on it, but it's important. And so it's one of the biggest idols in our culture. You know, there's one of our life groups that it has a study. It's just a nice, light and fluffy study they're doing right now. It's called At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry. Is that what it's called? Yeah. So they're looking at that now in the Northwest, and they're having some... Hard discussions. In fact, if I could say this publicly, I think this week, uh, isn't the topic masturbation? Yeah, I think so. Wow, Peter, like he said that in church. Yes, he did. Yeah, probably should talk about things like that more often. But that, that, that group's doing it. And why do I say it? Because that's important. So we need to be aware. We need to be walking in what God has for us. But we need to deal with the idols. And then money. The last one is money. No one can serve two, two masters. You cannot serve God and money. All right, I got to move here because I bogged down in that area, but it was so important. Um, here's what Jesus said, Matthew 15. He said, these people honor me with their lips. In other words, they tell me with their words that I have worth to them, but their hearts are far from me. They don't really value me. They worship me in vain. In other words, it means absolutely nothing. Their teachings are merely human rules. What we have to be careful with is we have to be careful that we're not just going through the motions and that these other things are not taking preeminence in our lives. And, and let me just say this. If any of the things I mentioned are taking preeminence in your life, then just start saying, God, I want you to be the main focus. I want freedom from the other idols that want to steal my life. God, this is a season where you want to take me to the next level. And I think that's the, the important part. God wants it to go beyond just us saying things. He wants it to be from our heart. You know, let me, let me just say this. What if someone gave me advice about loving my wife and they said, Ian, every day you should tell Val that you love her. Every day. Here's how you do it. Here, I'm going to give you like a, I'm going to give you like a, a whole series of things you can do to honor Val, to speak life to her every day. And you should do that every day. Just do it in rote, just whether you feel like it or not. 
And what if I said, that's right, I will do that. And what if I, so, so, you know, I get up and I'm like, okay, I got to do this. So I go over to my wife and I mumble, oh, I love you, right? I'm sure she'd feel incredibly blessed by that, I love you. And I did that every day. Um, she would not feel love, right? She wouldn't feel my love. She wouldn't feel the genuous, genuineness from my heart because just like with God, she'd just be getting lip service. She'd just be getting my words and not my genuine love. John 14 says this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So our love and worship of God is not just verbal. God wants it to be actions. It comes out of our heart and becomes actions. So how do we get our hearts responding to God so we have a heart of true worship? I'm going to give you a quick idea here. John 4, 23, 24. The hour is coming. This is Jesus talking to that woman at the well I talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, he talked to that Samaritan woman. And he shared, you'll have to go back and listen to it if you missed it, but he shared with her um, uh, the truth. And he says this, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. What, what does that mean? Well, it re, it, first of all, it means it's a mind centered on God and renewed by his truth. I said this earlier. We need to have a shift in our thinking. We need to have a shift in the way we view God, and that will affect our hearts. Look at Romans 12 with me here. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. See, it starts off with us changing our way of thinking. That's the first step. It starts off with us changing our way of thinking. And so the first step is God change the way I think. And I mentioned that earlier, but I just want to go over that again. Change the way I think. The second step is by having a pure heart with, that's open and repentant. Think of Think of David in Psalm 51. Here's how he prayed. Now, David had had uh, an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, and, and he, is, he is unable to worship. In fact, I don't know if it was about a year. It seemed like it was a long time that David struggled. He was unrepentant. And here's what it says in Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. That's where it starts. God, I want to, tra- I, I need my mind transformed. I need new thoughts. I need new ways of thinking about you. And Lord, cleanse my heart so that it's pure. So remember, worship starts with who you are, not what you do. Now I'm going to complete the statement. Here it is. And ends with what you do out of who you are. All right? It's not... It starts with who you are, not what you do, and ends with what you do out of who you are. And that's the activity of worship. Look at this passage here in Hebrews 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. 
Let us offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That's what we say. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. Those two things. So worship in, a, in essence is me worshiping God from what I say. Why? Because my mind is renewed because I'm thinking thoughts about who God is that's true. And because my heart is pure, because I've dealt with idolatry, because I'm repenting of unforgiveness, I'm repenting of things that are, that are misplaced in my life, and because my heart is clean and my mind is renewed, being renewed, I am able then out of a heart like that to begin to declare goodness and truth. And when I, when I sing, it's not just me, you know, singing some songs that I have to sing and I don't think about. All of a sudden, it's like me at that United Church where I am sensing the truth of what I'm sharing and singing to God in worship. But then it's the second part is don't forget to do good and share with others. I don't know about you, but I think when I grew up, when we talked about the word worship, it, I only thought of one thing. I only thought of like singing on a Sunday, like the band up here and me worship. I like, you know, we're going to have some worship today. We have some praise and worship. I'm looking forward to that. I, I spent some time worshiping yesterday in my room. Like it's all just the singing. But Hebrews 13 is clear. In fact, the Bible is clear that our acts of love with our hands and feet, our vocal acts, that's worship. But what we do with our hands and feet, that's worship as well. And that comes out of that heart condition. I think my challenge as we finish today, remember, worship starts with who you are, not what you do, and ends with what you do out of who you are. Here, here's where I want to encourage you this week as we start this series. Can I give you some homework? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you anyway, okay? People don't love homework. It's a bad word, but I'm going to give you some homework. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Ask the Lord, if you're serious about moving forward in worship and seeing God do something fresh in this area of your life and saying, God, I, I want a heart that really does honor you. I really, I really wa I want to think the way you want me to think. I, do, I don't want to have lies that I'm believing, and I want a heart that's unfettered. I want my worship of you in my actions and my words to be free again. Then, then get be prepared to do some spiritual house cleaning. Begin to ask the Lord, are there idols in my life? Are there some misplaced areas of my life? Are there some areas I'm looking to for comfort and significance, for, you know, to, for strength? You know, addictions, really, they are things that we look to and become addicted to that fill holes that God wants to fill. That's what they are. Are there areas like that in my life, God, where I need you to come in and heal me? And the biggest key, church, is to face that first. Just to face it. Just to admit it between you and God. And if you need to, get other people to help you. Get a brother or a sister in Christ to help you and walk with you if there's areas you're struggling. Because we're not meant to walk alone. We were never meant to just come in to a service, sit down, sing a few songs, hear some words, and then leave. We were meant to walk with people so we could get free. And so I encourage you to ask God, Lord, where's my heart today? What do I believe that stops me from having pure worship? What, what is my heart condition? Are there any idols? And then secondly... Um, I'd encourage you 
to focus on the what you do. It kind of goes together. Like, let me give you an example. So I've been grumbling about the snow. Like today, when I went out to my car, <laughs> had to shovel again. I, I, I was thinking, this is a perfect opportunity for you to pass a test, Ian, and to worship God in this moment and be thankful. And, and, and I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I was grumbling away. I had to repent again. Oh, God, forgive me. I'm, you know, I'm just talking to him because I'm thinking, you're so ungrateful and whining. And anyway, I'm just being real, okay? So my point is, while we're saying, God, work with my heart, work with my mind, shift me because I don't want to be this negative person and I want to be honoring of you and worshiping you, we can also be catching ourselves at the moments when we're not honoring him, right? Because all every careless word, the negative stuff I say, it, it, it's dishonoring to him. That's why I, tell, I ask him to forgive me because I realize my complaining doesn't honor him. My grumbling doesn't honor him. Even if I'm the only one doing it and he's just listening, he's the one hearing me. And so God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, may my words be, may my actions be. So begin to say, God, how can I live in a way that honors and worships you more? Start to cultivate that in my heart. And I believe if you'll do that over the next few weeks, God will speak to you and he will do something fresh in you and in me that's gonna help us to grow. Does that make sense? Is that okay? Would you stand with me? Let's just pray. You close your eyes with me today. <clears throat> I just want to encourage you just for a moment, just to consider what I've shared To be honest, I hope it's been clear. I sometimes I feel like I could have done a better job in just expressing certain things, but I'm hopeful that you get the essence of what I'm sharing today. Just just pause for a moment. And just um if you're here and it, this is all new to you, then just just pause for a moment just to let it sink in. If you're here and you're a Christ follower and and there's something that stirred you out of what I shared today. There's a number of things to share that could have stirred, challenged. And just let that settle for a moment. Because I think, I think church, that when we, when we leave, we, we need to always leave with one or two things that God's saying to us that, that'll just push us on. So, we just play the keys. So let's just do something right now. Let's just present ourselves to him over the, for this series over the next few weeks. And if you're like me and you're just ready to start off today just saying, God, search me, know me, work in my heart, do something different in me. If that's you, just lift, put your hands up with me because that's, that's what I feel is, is the start. It's just us presenting ourselves, being willing to shift and change. Father, I thank you right now that you love us. And Lord, I just ask that this week for all of us here as we head into a time of just maybe considering what you want to do in worship in our hearts, considering what we think that might not be right, considering our hard attitude, maybe there's bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. Maybe there's things that prevent us from really worshiping you in our, in, with our words and our actions. God, I pray you begin to uncover what those are. Idols that are 
that we're giving into, things we're worshiping and serving that we shouldn't. Father, would you begin to reveal that to us this week? Would you begin to do some work in each of our hearts? Father, I pray for freedom to come to people in this room over the next period of time. Lord, I, I pray for the area of addictions what I was sharing this morning. Father, I know, I know, statistically speaking, as I share about those very specific things, I know I'm talking to people right now in this room. I know that. That's statistics. That's reality here. And Lord, I pray a blessing on each and every person here in this room that's struggling with an addiction of some sort. And I pray specifically regarding sexual addiction, pornography, those areas. And God, I pray for freedom. And I pray that you'd help us as a church as we move forward, that we'd be a place that would be helping and providing. Thank you for that group that's digging into this. We bless them and their efforts. We pray that it would be successful. And Lord, that we'd even be able to do it on a broader level after that. But God, we pray for freedom for people here. God, we pray for our culture today. God, I, I pray. I pray for the families of our church. I pray for the young parents here with their young kids. Lord, I, I ask you to give them wisdom. I ask your Holy Spirit to, to give them understanding for their own children. I pray for our kids over in Kids Rock right now. I pray for that next generation. Lord, we bless them. And Father, we pray that as a church, we would be what we need to be to help those parents and to help those young kids to grow up in holiness and in purity and in protection by your grace, Lord, that they would have a healthy understanding. And that, Father, the curse of our age would not touch their lives. We pray that, Father. And, Lord, for everyone here as well, we thank you, God, that we're here for a reason. And so, Lord, as we focus in on these things and on specifically on worship, God, we just invite you to come and to do a work in us over these next few weeks, God. Rearrange our hearts. Stir our spirits. Prepare us for all that you have for us and this church in the future. And Lord, we will be careful to give you all the glory because we love you and we want to worship you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.